Have you ever felt God move you to a new place for a new work? Has God ever brought a new vision into your heart? Louis Giglio was our guest this week talking about how God sparked a vision in his heart to start the passion movement. It's all in episode 29 of the Church Leaders Podcast. Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping you lead better every day. And now here's your host, podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, Andrew Hess. Well, thanks for tuning in to episode 29 of the Church Leaders Podcast. This week, we're excited to announce the Church Leaders Mega Prize Pack Giveaway. We're giving away a brand new iPad Air 2, six subscriptions to Sermon Central Pro, and six subscriptions to Outreach Magazine. Head over to churchleaders.com forward slash giveaway to enter now. This week, we're talking to Louis Giglio. Louis is the pastor of Passion City Church located in Atlanta, Georgia. He's also a famous public speaker and founder of the Passion Movement, drawing 6,000 university students from around the world to conferences annually. You'll want to hear how a timely word from John Piper changed Louis's life in a powerful way. And now, here's our conversation with Louis Giglio. Louis, thanks so much for being a part of the show today. It is a privilege to have you on with us. Brian, I love the opportunity to be on with you guys today. Hello, everybody. And uh, hey, let's start since our time is precious, your time is precious. I want to make sure that we use this for great value for our listeners that are pastors and leaders out there today. And uh, so I just want to start to set the stage really quick. If you could give us the how and the why behind the passion movement to help us understand um, kind of the beginning of your ministry story, where you're at today, but just a brief overview of that would be fantastic. Well, for us, it's an 18-year arc that's blown our mind, honestly. I, I was for 10 years, a lot of people don't know this, a campus pastor at a university. And that was even God's doing. So I went to grad school at Baylor University in 1985 because I wanted to marry my wife, who was also an undergrad at Baylor University. That's really how spiritual it was. <laughs> but God had bigger plans and greater plans. We started in our apartment a Bible study for university students at Baylor. And Baylor's an amazing school, by the way. My wife is a Board of Regents member there. We are 1,000% fans of Baylor. But in 1985, when I was dating my wife there as a seminary student, it was a, a school full of a lot of religion, but very little Jesus largest Baptist school in the world, and I had a heart for that. I really loved Jesus, and I loved those students, and we started a Bible study, of a handful of us, that grew to 12, 1,500 Baylor students coming out on a Monday night just to open God's Word and worship together. We did that for 10 years. We thought it'd be 10 minutes, but we ended up there 10 wow. years doing that, and it was only my dad's uh, illness and subsequent disability and death that got us back to Atlanta. Uh, we didn't want to leave Baylor. We didn't want to leave that movement, but we needed to be in Atlanta to help my mom uh, with the care of my dad. And so we shifted in 1995, moved to Atlanta, and right in the middle of that shift, my father passed away. It was an incredibly, incredibly frustrating and confusing time for us. Wow. But also in that little window, God sparked a vision in our hearts for the 19 million university students in America. And we didn't really know what that meant, what it looked like, what the first step was, but we kept leaning toward that, that spark of vision. And a few years later, in January of 1997, we started the very first Passion Conference in Austin, Texas, all centered in this idea. This is the big thing about passion that I want every leader, every pastor to know, because people think passion, oh, worship albums, music, um, conferences, events. Our real core, now and then, was an idea that the greatest value in life is God and His glory, 
And the greatest thing we can do with our lives is to leverage them for God and for his glory. And that's a 180 to what I and a lot of us have grown up with in church, because somehow it's subtly sunk into me that everything God was doing was for me. And when I really got a wake-up call to realize, no, I, I don't. Ex- God doesn't exist for me. I exist for God. And yes, God loves me. Yes, He's working in my life. Yes, He's given Himself for me fully. But I didn't create God for me. God created me for Himself. And when that revolution happened inside of us, we realized that we could help a whole generation really bring meaning, ultimate meaning, the the truest meaning to their lives by doing a 180 in all of our theology. So that little phrase, your name and your renown are the desire of our souls. Isaiah 26, 8, that became our root, our core. It still is to this day. And we started gathering students around that idea. The worship albums were a byproduct. Yeah. Um, all a, a big events and arenas and stadiums, all byproduct. World tour byproduct, and then one of the great byproducts of it, you know, uh, 15 years down the road was Passion City Church in Atlanta, Georgia, and it was planting a church with the DNA of the Passion Movement in a local community because God really, you know, revolutionized my view of what I was going to do for the rest of my life, and it's not just reaching university students, but it's pastoring a local church, and so now. Passion City Church exists to reach the city and the world for Jesus. That same root is in all of it. But we're also still inviting students to arenas all over the world, uh, hoping that they'll experience that same 180 and that same wake up to wonder that we all have experienced over all these years together. That's beautiful. And I want to go back to just see if there's something maybe in you that made the turn, and you talked about losing your father in that, that difficult time as well. But what was it that helped you make that shift from ministry being about us and what God does for us to being about Him and what we can do involved in His plan? Well, like most things in life, you know, for me, it involved a person. Um, I can name about five people in my life that have spoken on behalf of God and and completely changed the trajectory of my life. And John Piper is a very well-known household name in faith right now, but trust me when I say in 1990, um, he really wasn't that household of a name, and he had a, a major book out called Desiring God. He had a little book called Let the Nations Be Glad, and it was a book on missions, and the opening page of it, I think, says uh, missions exist because worship doesn't. Hmm. Think about that little simple statement. And there's more theology packed into that one little line than a hundred other books you can read. Missions exist because worship doesn't. God wants the nations to come and worship Him, every language, tribe, race, and tongue, to gather around the throne and amplify the goodness and glory of God. Because that isn't happening, then missions needs to enter the story so that we can carry the story of Jesus, the story of the cross, the story of the gospel to all people— so that they can move from death to life and do what Psalm 40 says. They can have a new song in their mouth, a hymn of praise to our God, that many will hear, many will fear, many will put their trust in the Lord. And when I looked at that little sentence, I thought, wow, that's a game changer. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. Missions doesn't exist because people don't know about Jesus. That's only part of the story. Missions exist because when people find out about Jesus, they start worshiping God, and worship of God is the central value of everything in eternity. And so the invitation to join that is powerful. So 
I remember reading the book in the early 90s. I got past that first page, and then I got bogged down a little bit. I'm not a, a, an amazing reader. And uh, But a few years later, I spoke at a conference with uh, John Piper in Fort Worth, Texas, and he was the main speaker, and I was just a little breakout speaker. But I heard him for the first time live. I could barely move out of my seat when he finished talking, and I was probably 30 years old. And I thought to myself sitting there and said to him later, I don't think I've heard five people in my lifetime speak like that. And I ended up going and telling him that at a lunch. And, you know, John's it can be socially awkward. I mean, he's an amazing guy, amazing friend of mine, but he doesn't, he's a man of very few words sometimes. <laughs> and uh, I remember getting all the courage. You know, I can I empathize. Even, I can empathize. <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't, I don't even go up and talk to people. You know, if Elvis Presley was on my porch right now, I might not go out there and say hello. I'm just not that guy. But I, I walked up to him, this, this young kid, I was so blown away by it, and I, I'll never forget it. I said, uh, Dr. Piper, I hate to interrupt your lunch, but I have to tell you that there aren't five people in my lifetime that I've ever heard speak with the fervor and the passion and the anointing and the unction that you just spoke with, and I just want to say thank you. And I'll never forget this. I think I've told John this, but he looks up. He's got green beans on his fork. That's how vividly <laughs> I remember this. And he's in half half bite with green beans at a, you know a seminary uh, you know student center luncheon. So we're not talking about the Waldorf Astoria here. And he looks up at me, and he says, "Well, thank you for that." why don't you be one and then there'll be six. (laughs) (laughs) And so I just kind of, you know, slowly moved back over to my table and sat down and thought, you idiot, you know, that's the dumbest thing that's ever happened. But John Piper, to answer your question, really was the first voice that I had heard that injected this idea that God exists for God and God is the major proponent of God's glory in the world. And that's not bad news. That's good news. And when that happened, I had an awakening, Brian. My, the, the light bulb went off. Uh, I, revelation happened. Wow. And I went from that moment on, in every page of Scripture that I looked at, I was staring straight at a story of God's glory. Every single Old Testament story, every prophecy, all of the gospel accounts, all of the church being birthed and its purposes, all of the theology that was unpacked post-resurrection and cross that we now carry, the end times hope of the church and the world, all of it, all of it, every single page of it was all about God and His glory. And an invitation for me, a little frail, fragile person like me, to get in on an eternal, unchanging, indelible story like that, and it changed everything for me. And I had a wake up in college like that about the grace life we have in Christ. I had a wake up in seminary like that about worship as a lifestyle. I had a wake up from John Piper about the glory of God and, and they're shapers for me. And when he said that, it really set me on a different course. That was pre-passion. It was pre all of this other stuff God was going to do, but it was the seedbed out of that. And I know it's a long answer, and and we got a podcast to do here, but a few years later, I was speaking at a conference in Arkansas at a college student, so I think it might have been a a Baptist student event, several thousand students at this church, and I spoke a Piper-esque talk because I was young in this idea, and so I was trying to just 
find my own voice in sure. saying what God was revealing to me. I sat down, and the guy running the conference was sitting next to me. He had one of those giant Bibles, you know, like two and a half inches thick. The bug killers, uh, yeah. had about 18 different colors of highlighting in it, and he's got it open in his lap. And we sit down, and now my friend comes up to lead worship. And I'm a very big proponent of worship and leading worship. And so I never, I'm not going to be the speaker that walks off and go, well, I've done my part. Now they can sing or whatever else they need to do to finish this up. I sit down. I'm so moved by my talk that I don't want to move. I, I, I'm moved by what God has said. And the, the worship song starts, and all I want to do is worship. I don't, I don't want to think about anything else. But this guy keeps nudging me. And he's a wonderful man, by the way. And he keeps nudging me. And I'm like, I don't want to be nudged right now. I want to worship right now. I don't want to talk to you right now. I, I want to worship. I'm not that kind of guy. Now we're done with the talk. Let's have a little chit-chat. I want to worship. But he finally gets my attention and we're not standing yet. We're still sitting in this worship moment. And he plops this Bible in my lap. And so here comes this four-pound scripture now sitting in my lap. And he points down at a verse of scripture. And I'm like, I don't want to read that right now. This is what's going through my mind. I'm like, dude, we can do this later. <laughs> and he's insistent. You're going to read this verse right now. I look down and highlighted in his Bible are these words. Yes, Lord, walking in the way of your truth, we wait eagerly for you. For your name and your renown are the desire of our souls. And right then and right there, the core of passion was born. And the, the kernel, the distillation of everything we want to be was born when I read those words of Isaiah 26, 8 off that page. And I always thank him for that. Wow, um, and it could have happened in the hallway afterwards, but I, I'm kind of glad now that it happened in the midst of the moment. <laughs> totally. And so, you know, God uses people, and He always speaks into our lives through His Word by the power of His Spirit. But when I look back at my life and the shaping moments of my life, there were people with skin on that God was using to amplify His Word to me, and uh, Piper has spoken at every national event we've done at Passion since then. We're we're not the closest of friends. We don't really float in the same circles. I don't see him four or five times a year, but we have a kindred spirit yeah. around the things that matter most in life. And I want him to pour into this young generation. Um, and honestly, if you start asking the question 10 years ago, who can talk about the glory of God, the list was really, 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 really short. Wow. That's a powerful, powerful story, and I appreciate you sharing that. And And I want to jump to your, your upcoming book here in just a second, but I also want to just ask, I, I think there's probably a lot of listeners right now who maybe are still kind of focused on that old mentality of church and ministry that's focused on what God can do for us. Like, what would you say to some of our listeners who want to make that transition from, like, changing their focus to the glory of God in their ministries and in their leadership? Like, what would be the first step you would say to them? Well, the first, I don't know. I would say a couple of steps. I mean, yeah. one, I would get something that you can be inspired by. Um, Piper's book, The Pleasures of God, is a really good place to start. Um, there's a, a book called The Unity of the Bible, which is a, it's a little bit thicker read, but it's a good place to start. Um, it might be called The Unity of Scripture, but uh, don't hold me to either one of those. It's a, three floors up for me right now, and I can't grab it real quick. Gotcha. But um, So I'd get something that, can, <clears throat> that you can process with. The second thing would be to ask God just to 
to open your eyes to see what he wants you to see as you start reading scripture. But the main idea of it, I think, is just to be open to the fact that it's not a bad idea. I, I, I have some, you know, tense conversations sometimes with friends, um, especially if they feel like this is bumping against the the sense that they're valuable, yeah. that God loves them, that that they're persons of great worth, that God really is for them. And Piper did a really great talk at one of the Passion Conferences about five years ago where he addressed this finally because he'd been getting that pushback for a long time. He did a beautiful message about it. But it doesn't undervalue a human being to know that they're loved by the most beautiful being of all. And to know that the most beautiful being of all is the one who gets the most glory of all. That doesn't undermine me as a created being of God to know that I was created to know and have a relationship with and reflect the beauty of the most beautiful being of all. And I think sometimes we're afraid of that. But come on, think about this. We're all alive today who have faith in Jesus because of the cross. That's the only reason why we're alive. But for my most of my life, and I don't knock anybody on this, I grew up in the best church in America, period. When I was uh, in elementary school, middle school, high school, and college, I went to the best church in America, hands down. Listened to the best pastor every single Sunday, period. And so I'm not knocking any of that, but I never heard a story on the glory of God or on worship when I graduated from college, wow. not one. And these are the days where we went to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Oh, yeah. We had three messages a week. <laughs> I already had two seminary degrees before I went to seminary. <clears throat> That's how amazing my pastor was. But when you think about it, all I heard was, God loved you, and he gave his son for you. Jesus died for you. Jesus died for you. When I heard the phrase the first time that Jesus died for God, I was like, okay, I can't process, don't know what to do with that, um, shut down all my thinking, What that, that doesn't make any sense at all. God is not a megalomaniac. He's not an egotist. He doesn't have the you know short man complex. I mean, what 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 is what does that mean? And then I just stepped back and I thought about it. Here's Jesus at the end of his life, and he says, uh, "What should I do? Um, what should I say? My soul is pressed. What should I say? Should I say, God, save me from this hour?" Hmm. And Jesus said, "No. It's for this very hour that I came." And then this phrase, listen, he says, Father, glorify your name. So there's something about the exchange of Jesus by his own free will choice to lay his life down. There's something about that that magnifies our God as the only God of all the gods who would ever choose to give of himself to bridge the gap from heaven to earth to give a gift of his own mercy, love, and grace, and kindness to bring rebels to life. That does say a lot about me. It says that God pursued me at all costs, loves me at all costs, would not take my rebellion as the final answer for the estate of my life. But what it says more than that is that God is a God of relentless grace, of the exact, of the um, um, outrageous pursuit, that God is a God who is unlike any other God. And so again, we read that story, Luke 15, the prodigal son, and we've always made that about the son. We've always made it about the son. Why? Yeah. Because we're the son. 
Now, we've never made it about the older brother because none of us want to admit we're him. But we've always made it about the son because that's what we do in life. We project ourselves onto everything in life. We walk through life projecting our viewpoint, our way of thinking, our values on the whole world around us. But the story is not about the son. That never was, that never has been, and it isn't today. The story was about Jesus responding to the accusation of the religious high and mighty crowd who said, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. And then Jesus told a story, and the story was in that day always about the shepherd. It was always about the woman who swept the house, and it was always about the father who would not take no for an answer and with outrageous grace, received his son back from the dead, celebrated him, and reconnected him into a future story. And that the glory of that story is, has never been the son. The glory of that story is the father. And Jesus died to set me free and to bring me to life and to give me hope again. But when he did that, I got a new song of praise, and I don't praise me. I praise God. When he did that, I have a story to tell. It's not my story. It's the story of Jesus. When he did that, I joined the ranks of the eternal worshipers who are not worshiping me. It doesn't say to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb and to Louis be all the praise, (laughs) the honor, the thanksgiving, the blessing, the power, the dominion forever and ever. No. All of eternity angles towards and bends towards the glory of God. And that's every story. It's the heart of Scripture. It swept us up in it. And now it gives me my ultimate meaning. So as a plumber, as a a practitioner, as a neurosurgeon, as an elementary school teacher, as a mom, as a pastor, as a church planter, now I know what to do with my passions and gifts in life. I'm to pursue them unabashedly, whether it's as a painter or an artist or a NASCAR driver. Um, I'm to pursue those passions without any reservation or hesitation. I know there's no greater reward for being a preacher um, than there is for being a welder. But what I know now is that I use my preaching to glorify God and my welding to glorify God and my mothering to glorify God. And when I leverage my pain and my joy, the good and the bad, the sickness and the health, the riches and the poverty, the good times and the bad times, I leverage them to tell the world the story of Jesus and to glorify him. Then I save my life and I don't lose it. Amen. Amen to that, man. It's powerful stuff. And, and as you talked about like the story, not being about us, but we have a role in that pointing to him, like your new book. Let's talk about that for a minute. It's called the comeback. And it talks about the fact that we're all broken, full of failures and pain and loss but God's redemption is waiting, even pursuing us. Um, so let's talk about this. What's your biggest comeback moment in life so far? Well, my biggest comeback moment in life, and you know, people just roll their eyes when I say this, but it's, it's the same as yours. Um, I was dead, and now I'm alive forevermore. So that's A. Um, <laughs> B, you know, and that's, uh, I, I spoke on that a few weeks ago at church, and I said, look, you know, there's not two sides of the road. There's not all of us who did pretty good and all those who crashed and burned. Uh, It's just one side of the road. We were dead, and now we're alive. We all have a comeback of miraculous proportion, and that's the seedbed from which we can look somebody straight in the face whose wife's dying of cancer and say, God can still work in this. And when they say, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, then we say, no, it's not, because God brought from death to life, and if he can do that, he can do anything. 
The second thing, though, that I talk a lot about in the book <clears throat> is just a crash I had in 2008 about this time of year. And um, under a lot of pressure, a lot of circumstances, a lot of storms. But eventually I just fell into a hole of depression and anxiety that really um, incapacitated me for several months of my life. It led me into a very, very dark tunnel. And I didn't know how, how I got in it. I, at the time, did not know anybody else who had gone through it. I've learned now that hundreds and hundreds of people have experienced exactly what I experienced, the, the physical symptoms, the emotional symptoms, the, the mental disorder that happened to me. But it was a very difficult time for me. I didn't participate in the real world for a while, and I wasn't sure I ever would. And I talk about it in the book because I I want people to know, and I'm not in, in anything other than an ordinary person, <laughs> but in our spiritual culture, you know, we sort of have these perceived ideas about people, especially some of our spiritual leaders. and. Sure. I just wanted people to know, look, if you perceive me as being anything, you know, as somebody who knows God, knows how to follow God, loves God, um, which I hope all those things are true about me, but I just want to say, I want to tell you about my story. I want to tell you about my depression. I want to tell you about my darkness. I want to tell you about me needing medical help. And I want to tell you about the fact that I really wasn't sure I'd ever preach again. I wasn't sure I'd ever not tremble again. Hmm. I wasn't sure I'd ever sleep through the night again. And to be sitting here today, however many years later it is now, talking to you on this podcast to Christian leaders that, you know, you called me, Brian, and you asked me to be on a church leaders podcast. If you had asked me that in November or December of 2008, I would have thought, I will never be on another podcast again wow. in my life. And so I talk about that in the book, and I talk about other stories, and they don't all have neat, tidy, wonderful everything changed answers because we don't get that in life in a lot of our stories but they do all have the the ballast in the bottom of the boat of the hope and the presence and the sovereignty of God to hold us and keep us and to weave in our stories and I just want anybody out there to know if they're you know especially I think pastors I was planning a church in 2008 it was one of the six things that made a perfect storm for me but I think a lot of pastors, I learned, in fact, somebody tweeted at me today. They'd heard my message from Sunday where I just kind of spilled my guts again at our church. And they said, do you know this happened to so-and-so? And they named a pastor who at the time in Texas was really, really well known when I was uh, in my formative years. And, um, and I did know about his story because a couple of months into mine, somebody stumbled on him giving a message on YouTube at Dallas Seminary, where he shared a story. It was, was almost, the playbook was almost identical to what happened to me. And I've, I've talked to two, three dozen pastors in the last year who've gone through a very similar situation. And so when I went in it, I thought I was crazy, that I was insane, that I was alone, that I was the only person going through this. But I've, I've come to find that it's really helpful for us to talk about these things out loud yeah. because part of the, the shroud breaker is the knowledge of knowing that we're not alone, that we're not crazy, that God can bring us through and that He will bring us through, and that's certainly my story. That's beautiful. And, and I think that, like you said, there's so many pastors who are 
wrestling with different things right now and uh, are thinking maybe they're on the verge of being disqualified because of either their their temptations or their failures or their depressions or their mistakes. Um, like, what would you say, like, for somebody who feels like it is almost over for them, like it was for you, like, how would you encourage them to, to, to take steps to move out of that and to, uh, to allow God to work in their lives in a more powerful way? Well, I think it, <clears throat> it's a multitude of things. And, you know, there's no formulas in this book because I think all of us are leery of that. Yeah. But there, there's a, it, depending on who they are, where they are, what they're walking through, some of the things that are the same is that you have to hit the zero point. And until you're at the place where you are, you know, we call it rock bottom, whatever you want to call it. If you're still managing the crisis, then you're not in a position that God can really help you. If you're still managing the whatever it is in your life that you know has the power to take you out, then you're not really ready for God to help you. But for me in this particular situation, I was literally flat on my back, in tears, at my wit's end, done and finished. And it was at that place that God gave me a song of praise, which sounds completely ludicrous, but that's a second component. I think one of the great components is we just have to get to the bottom. And when you're at the bottom, you you talk to God differently. <laughs> you, yeah. You cry out to God differently from the bottom, and you're you're open to whatever He says. You're open to other people. You're more vulnerable. So that's an important component. But secondly, for me, was worship. And I talk in the book a little bit about it. I talked a lot about it in my message Sunday. People may be equally helped by just listening to the Passion City Church podcast from last Sunday. I don't remember. And uh, because I talked about um, worship and the power of worship in the face of cancer, in the face of death, at the grave, when collapse comes, when depression comes, when darkness comes, when divorce is raging, that the power to shift our view to God and to take our eyes off the circumstance and to put our eyes on the faithfulness of God, even though we're not seeing that affirmed in any way by the circumstances we're in. It reorders our thinking, and it changes the atmosphere, and I think that's an important component for people. But the bottom line for every pastor, and every pastor knows this, every leader listening to this podcast knows this, um, the expectations of pastors put us all in a bubble, and we have to find somebody who's not in that bubble that we can be honest with and that we can really do life with and walk with. And we have to have people in our lives that we can say, look, here's my deal and here's my struggle. And they can look back at us and not say, I thought you were a pastor. I thought you were a leader. I thought you had graduated from all that. But they can look right back at us and go, I totally understand that. You're a person. I'm a person. As far as I can tell, everyone in Scripture struggled with the same temptations, including Jesus. And he was the only one who was without sin in the whole account of the history of the church and scripture. And so to think that all of us are going to somehow live free of failure of these pits, of these holes in life, it's not very realistic. And so we need people around us that we can be vulnerable with that can spur us on to do what Paul wanted. You know, he said, I've fought the good fight. So that's what we're all doing today. 
He said, I've kept the faith. Okay, that must mean <clears throat> that every leader at some point is wanted to jettison faith. Now, for him, it probably was, you know, I'm still preaching the true gospel amongst all these false gospels. But in some way, it could have mean that maybe he wanted to jettison the whole idea of faith. And then he said, I've finished the course. And that is where every leader listening to this right now is in the some part of the struggle of fighting the fight, of keeping the faith, and of finishing the race. And we've got to get into some kind of relationships with other people who are not our elders, probably, could be, uh, who are not our board, who's not our staff, that we can have friendships in life with to say, help me keep the faith, help me fight the fight, help me finish the race, because that's ultimately what all of us want to do as we glorify God. Totally. Louis, that is powerful stuff, and totally appreciate you sharing that and sharing your heart with us. I want to encourage listeners right now to go out and get a copy of The Comeback and to experience God's grace even more in their lives. And also, I just want to wrap up right now and ask you, Louis, if you would take time to pray for leaders who are in desperate need of a comeback, maybe who are burnt out right now, who are wrestling with temptation or sin. And um, and listeners out there right now, I, I encourage you to, to engage this prayer and not to shut it off now. I think you're going to be blessed by it. So, Louis, if you would take a minute and just pray for us, totally appreciate it. Father, we just do come and pause before you in the name of Jesus. We've said it a million times, but just because we've repeated it over and over, it doesn't diminish its truth one iota today. The name of Jesus is the name that has power and authority to save and to heal and restore. And so I just, again, we again lift up the name of Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of the living God, the Lord of all. I lift up every man and woman to you today that is feeling and sensing that the tide is about to take them out to sea, that's feeling the weight is too heavy, that they've been shot at, they've been criticized from from without, and they've wrestled from within. And maybe the storm of both of those things today, their own personal weakness and the attack of people around them is overwhelming them and taking them down. I pray today by the power of the name of Jesus that you would speak into their heart, that you would say their name, that they would know that you are there present with them, that you understand everything about their circumstance, that you love them relentlessly. And I just pray over them the, the four lines of that little song that you gave me in the night in 2008. Be still. There is a healer. His love is deeper than the sea. His mercy is unfailing. His arms a fortress for the weak. I pray, God, that you would just whisper that, speak that, and allow them to echo it back to you today. Thank you, God, that you are a healer. Thank you that your love is deeper than the sea. Thank you, God, that right now your mercy for me is unfailing. Thank you, God, that your arms for me right now are a fortress for the weak. Jesus, we know that when we are weak, we are strong, that your grace is perfect in our weakness, not in our strength. And so I pray that you would give people permission to be honest and real without fear of any repercussion other than that present power that you want to bring to their lives. 
to bring them out of the darkness and into the light. So we pray against depression. We pray against the spirit of anxiety. We speak against the spirit of despair, of, of fear, of the fear of man. We, we pray against the spirit of addiction and loneliness and performance. We pray against the spirit of the pressure of holding churches together, of pleasing all the people, of being accepted and loved and approved by everybody, of comparison, God. We pray against the spirit of Instagram of every leader today that's looking at the feed on their phone and wondering why they're not doing it as good as the next person or don't have as big a voice as the other church or don't have as good of an idea as the other person when they're barely surviving today. So we pray against the spirit of comparison. We pray that you would remind every man and every woman listening to this podcast today that they belong to you that God Almighty is in the midst, that you have raised them up in Christ from death to life, that you have appointed them for a mission in your story, that you've given them something to steward. It might be one, it might be two, it might be five, it might be 5,000, but you have given us, all of us, something to steward today. And you've given us the grace by the Holy Spirit to steward what you've given us to steward. So let us lay down what you haven't given us to steward Let us trust you today for breath and life again. And in that, God, will you please bring me to that place again today where I know and bring each of us who want to get there to that place where we know it really is about walking with Jesus. It really is about walking in a relationship with you today. It is not about accolades. It is not about affirmation. It is not about building ministries. It is not about building buildings. It is not about people knowing who we are. It is about walking with you, Jesus, humbly walking with our God, and then you doing all the rest. And so I ask that today, that you would release us and free us from everything the enemy is trying to strangle us with today, and that you would give us the courage, the boldness, just to run after you and to carry you to this world. And that's my prayer, hope for my life today and for the life of every leader listening today. Let it be so for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again to Louis Giglio for joining us this week as our special guest on the Church Leaders Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a few minutes to subscribe, rate, and review us in iTunes, and consider sending this episode to someone you know who might be blessed by its message. Also, make sure to download the show notes for this episode at churchleaders.com forward slash podcast. The show notes always include resources mentioned in the show and links to some of our guests' top content on churchleaders.com. Also, don't forget to head over to churchleaders.com forward slash giveaway to enter for your chance to win an iPad Air 2 or a subscription to Sermon Central Pro or a subscription to Outreach Magazine. There are lots of great prizes, so don't miss out on your chance to win. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again next week. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website, churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.